Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 16. I'm Dale Lobel. No Todd Widener today. Todd is being a good father and husband. Just no time in the day for us to shoot these things or record these things. So just going to get me today. Probably going to be the worst episode ever. Shout out to Dwight at DDG Customs and Andy at thirdeyegraphics.net. Again, we appreciate everything you do for us. Welcome to our new listeners in Nebraska. We appreciate you and all the folks that listen to us. We really appreciate you giving us a shot. So tell a friend. I think we're up to almost 700 listens right now on our 15 episodes that have come out. So I'm super excited about that. And shout out again. Every week I seem to shout out the Twitter followers and we're up. So many Packer fans in the world. We appreciate you. We have 368 followers today. So what the show is going to be today is me rambling on and on. I did do an interview with Peter from Pro Football History at Pro Foot History. Super dude, as you'll see when you listen. I hope we get to talk to him more often because what a great guy. I enjoyed talking to him. I honestly could have talked to him for hours and hours about the Packers. Super knowledgeable. He's just an awesome guy. We're going to have him on again. I'd like to have him on weekly with a short segment. So here's that interview with Peter from Pro Football History. And maybe I should kind of preface it. Peter and I started talking about just any old thing. We just started talking, and I forgot to hit the record button. So it kind of jumps in in the middle. He's talking about Red Cochran. He only played in the NFL for maybe three or four years, but parlayed that into a very long career as a coach and scout. He ended up with the Packers, I think, from 74 to like 2005, he was a scout with the Packers. I made my first trip to Green Bay in the 90s and then got to know Red, Red Cochran. And, you know, that was a, the most special thing in the world to me that him and his wife, who didn't really know me from Adam, you know, would welcome me into their home. And every time I went over there, I, I stayed there. And, I, you know, he used to take me into the, into, the, into the Packers' offices. So I met, you know, I met Ron Wolf and Bob Harlan there. You know, I would sit there as he was studying film and stuff. So it was just the most special thing in the irreplaceable times. Of course. You know? That is, that's awesome. That's um, really cool. And it's, it's just weird to think of a guy kind of 5,000 miles away who's been really lucky enough to have that kind of experience, you know? Is that how you became a Packer fan? You met up with him in Austin, or no, how did it start? I, it's, it started my um. So I live in kind of the south southeast area of, of the UK, just north of London. And during the Second World War, this was this area was full of US Air Force bases, and some of those are still there today. And the guy that lived next door to me worked at the local Air Force base, and he was from Madison, Wisconsin. So when I was a, I guess I was 11 years old, he was a huge Packers fan, and, and he got me started. So he got me started as a Packers fan before even we even had it on TV here. Back in those days, you know, way before 9-11, you could go on base at, at the U.S. Air Force bases, and he used to take me on there to watch games, and he showed me how to listen in 
to the American Forces Network radio. So I learned a lot about football listening to it on the radio rather than watching it. And I guess as a kid, you kind of get a, a visualisation. It's almost more interesting in a way to try and visualise things. It just kind of went from there. And I've just been a Packers obsessive for, what's that, 43 years. Awesome. So when you listen to Armed Forces Radio, do you get whatever game they're playing for the day? Yeah. So, so kind of through the late 70s and early 80s, it was all, it was all radio. I didn't have, we didn't have any games on on TV, and it was whatever games they they happened to have. And you know they tended, I guess, to pick on the more successful teams. So the Packers weren't on weren't on their weren't on no. their very often. <laughs> and then we we started getting a, a TV highlight show in I want to say eighty two eighty three which was kind of an hour and a half highlight show the week after games. And then towards the end of the 80s, we started getting live games. And now we get two live games on a Sunday. We get the Sunday night game. We get the Monday night game, the Thursday night game. But again, it's whatever games they choose to, to play. They choose to, to, to show. But I subscribe to NFL Game Pass, which I guess is kind of... I don't know if you have Game Pass there. We have um, the NFL ticket. Which I see. Yeah, so it's absolutely similar, similar okay. to that. So whatever yeah. game, so I get to watch the Packers live. Perfect. Every- I think my daughter, who is in college, is now going to get the NFL ticket. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know she's getting it, oh. and she will never use it. But you know, we're just using a college <laughs> discount. So. Yeah. I'm super sad that there's going to be no Packer fans. It looks like it's going to be all year. Because Green Bay Austin is a hot spot too. It's just terrible. And I can't imagine how the economy is doing up there. Yes. Because the reliance so much on, you know, on the Packers and the Packers games. I just, I can't imagine. Yeah, we've talked about it on our podcast. It's like 15 yeah. million per game. It's a stupid number. And Green Bay, is, as you know, is a very small town. So it's like that. That's a huge number for them. And I don't know. I wish they'd bring some people back. I understand why they're not, but I really wish they would bring something back just for the economic boost that the community needs. Because all those folks that built those houses around the stadium and they've done all those crazy upgrades to it and things like that, they need that income. They need those people coming in. It's, it's huge for them in, in the city. Anyway, that's enough doom and gloom, right? Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk something positive. What do you want to talk about first? I don't mind. I really, I really don't mind. Let's t- let's talk about the history because you're the history guy. You're now our history guy, Peter. <laughs> so we're going to rely on you for a lot of stuff if we uh, can. I mean, I love history anyway, regardless of sports history and stuff. Me too. So in those early days of trying to learn about football, it wasn't on TV here, and it was on the. I was listening to it on the radio. It was grabbing whatever books I could, reading about whatever players I could, regardless of which team they played for or, or anything. So in a way, that kind of helped me. I think, try and have a broader perspective on the history of the game rather than just being a Packers. Anything on the history of the Packers-Bucks rivalry since we're coming up on, on them this weekend? Well, I mean, it's one of those It's one of those strange... To me, it's a strange rivalry because it's it was kind of a rivalry but wasn't, if you know what I mean. You know, them, them coming into the league as an expansion franchise in... 76. 76, yeah. And bizarrely enough, they started life in the AFC West. I didn't know that. But they played, yeah, they, they played it. They played a year in the AFC West before being moved to the to the NFC Central as it as it became. Right, which geographically geographically <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. But yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very odd. And and Seattle, who moved to the AFC West in '77, started in the NFC. Also um, so didn't it's, know it's, very, it's very strange. So, like I say, it's one of those rivalries that I don't know. Doesn't feel like it was ever a real a real rivalry. Packers lead the series 32-21 and one. So it's one of those situations where I think throughout the '80s, both teams were generally 
not very good. Yes. And, uh, and you know, the, the series was tied during the 80s. And then obviously the 90s, the Holmgren, Favre years, you know, the, the Packers were, were ahead in that series, 16-5 ahead in that series in, in, the, in the 90s. And then in the 2000s, when the Bucks became good, the Packers were, were good, but not quite as good as they'd been in the, in the 90s. You know, right. in the early 2000s, the Bucks won most of those games in the 2000s. And then I guess, I guess with the realignment, when the Texans came into the league and they realigned to eight, 14 divisions and, you know, the Bucks moved out of the division, we haven't played the Bucks very much right. in, in, recent, in recent years. I think in the 2010s, just three games. And Packers are oh. 3-0 in those three games. You know, one of my, I don't want to call it favorite memories of the Packers Buck rivalry because it wasn't my favorite, but I can remember this vividly. I think it was in 81, might have been 1980. Lynn Dickey threw for like 5,000 yards in a game <laughs> and they ended up tying because they couldn't make any field goals in that yeah. game. Do you remember that game at all? Yeah, so it's the, yeah, it's the only tie in the series. And yeah, you're right. The, the Packers missed I don't know how many field goals and they missed one game-winning field goal right at the end of that game. Yeah, they did. I think if I'm in my memory is awful, but I think that they brought in Rich Wingo, a linebacker, to try a kick in that game. <laughs> quite, pos- quite possibly. That, yeah. that feels right to me, but I can't remember. But they yeah. moved the ball up and down the field, up and down the field. They could not put it in the end zone. And they just kept missing kicks. Tom Bernie, I think, was the kicker at that time, or some guy that you know went into the abyss of no no history <laughs> yeah. at all. But that's really very indicative of the Packers of the early eighties. You know, when the offense was hot, the rest of the team was was, Awful. was poor. And the games when the defense was was hot, because there were some you know some decent players on defense, the John Andersons, the Mike right. Douglas, those guys were when. You know the offense wasn't so great, and it was, um, and the special teams were, to my memory, not great throughout most throughout most of that period. And probably, I guess, once Chester Markle's career ended, which is around that round nineteen. Around that time, yeah, yeah. I think that that was the a... year that he was gone, right? I think yeah. that eighty-one yeah. was his first year not as a Packer, and they just struggled. They tried to, they tried everything they could to find a kicker that year, and there were a lot of guys I think that cycled through that year. I guess they didn't have another one till Chris, till Chris Jackie in the late. Yeah, 80s. they even tried Jan Stenerud, right, in the, in the yeah. mid '80s then too. Yeah, and, and and he had a couple of decent seasons, although he was about 83 years old by that. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was very old. Yeah, <laughs> but he he was better than what we were used to, so it was like okay. I guess the game that springs to my mind when I think of the Packers Bucks is. The 1985 snow bowl. There was five inches of snow on the ground. There were only 16,000 fans in in Lambeau Field that day. So though, wow. though it was sold out, they couldn't get to, they couldn't get to the stadium. You know. And what's really strange about that game? Well, the Packers put up 500 yards of offense that okay. day, and, and and the Bucks put up less than 50, or about fi- about 50. Wow. And um, Steve Young was the quarterback for the Bucks. Oh. Before he, you know. He'd just come out of the USFL before he went to the 49ers. He was the quarterback for the Bucks, and I think he threw for something like 50 yards and was and was sacked five or six times for about 40 yards. You know, so that's the game I remember. And, and the, one of the bizarre things about it, of course, the Bucks wore white in the snow. In the snow, you couldn't even you couldn't even see them. You know, it's it's kind of. So that, that's the game that kind of from the Packers Bucks history, if you like, that's the one that always comes to comes to my mind. Was uh, that the, in the 80s, the Packers had, you know, they did a lot of renovations to the field a- along yeah. the way. 
were they painting the field at that time in the 80s? I'm trying to think because I guess it would have been real apparent because they would have had it all over their uniforms, right? All, they would yeah. have had green paint yeah. all over their uniforms. Probably not. If you can't remember. It. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I guess the only, the only other game that brings to my mind, and it, it's not particularly a great game, but it's the one playoff game that the Packers and the Bucks played, which was after the 97 season, Lambeau Field, the Packers won 21-7. So it's, it's actually an almost forgettable playoff game. It was almost... It was almost a stroll for the Packers that day. That was that was the week before they went to San Francisco and won the NFC Championship out there. Yeah, an easily forgotten game, and it's the only playoff game that the Packers and Bucks have, have, have ever played. played. Yeah. Was that the, the combined, like, all-start, work-done team? I yeah. feel like that was that era, yeah. right? Trent Dilfer yeah. before he won a Super Bowl with, yeah. with the Ravens. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly that, exactly that team. So you know, it was a, it was a decent Bucks team. I guess that was about the time when they were just starting to get, yeah, um, better. Yeah, I guess from about ninety, I guess ninety five through ninety eight. You know, right. the Packers were a, were a machine, and I've never to this day gotten over Jerry Rice's fumble in that ninety eight playoff game. Same um, here. I never will. <laughs> <laughs> I never will. I don't care that they changed the rules after that. It was yeah. a year too late. It doesn't yeah. make any difference to me now. Yeah, there could have been a run of Super Bowls. It could have been a Buffalo-type yeah. run of Super Bowls, you know, yeah. from 95 to 98, really, in that era. You know, that second Super Bowl, Broncos, the Super Bowl 32, yeah. that was the one that we'll, we'll always feel that's the one that got away. I mean, going into that game, I guess I guess as fans, we probably felt confident as you can. Cause you, yes! You just you just felt that that team was too, was, was too good not, to, not, to, not win. to win it. You know, when they drove down on that opening drive, and I think Mark Shimura caught the mm-hmm. touchdown pass at the back of the end zone on that opening drive, I think it just felt like this. it was destined that the Packers were just going to almost but. You know, Terrell Davis, I guess. I guess the Packers' defensive line, you know, Reggie and those guys were a year older and they couldn't stop the run and it just... And it wasn't like now where we, it's cr- pretty apparent that the Packers can't stop the run. <laughs> Back then, you're, you know, you, you still thought, okay, we'll, we'll stop what they have and yeah. we'll be so on offense, we're so dominant, we'll just go down and score time after yeah. time after time. It's like, I get nervous for a Packer preseason game, Peter. So, <laughs> I mean, but in that game, I remember feeling the same way. Just like you said, I was so confident in that Super Bowl win that I just thought there's no chance we lose this game. We are rolling and there's no chance we lose. But that was super wrong. You know, it's funny. Last night I was watching The Last Dance, that ESPN special on the Bulls. And for whatever reason, you know, that day they're coming off the airplane and they got to put at the bottom day after Super Bowl 32 or whatever it was. And they show the score. I'm like, why is that relevant to a Chicago Bulls? (laughs) You don't have to put that on there. Is that a taunting the Packers thing or Packer fans? Because I felt... I felt a little sad, right? Uh, yeah, and it just goes to show, doesn't it? it? Just goes, you know, it was another 13 years or whatever before the Packers got back, and then they've not been back. So it just goes to show you can never take these things for for granted. Dad and I said that in our first our well, episode one, which is our second episode, but we just said you as any fan, but as Packer fans, we don't know when we're going back. You have to seize the moment. Yep. You know, I know that. Um, you know, picking up guys like Antonio Brown or or guys with problems are sometimes not the best thing to do but when you have the opportunity you guys snatch that opportunity because right what you just said is 100 percent correct it could be 13 more years we have aaron Rodgers, and he's great but you don't know who else is going to be great in the league and, and things happen injuries happen you just don't know no absolutely and when you think back to that 96 season so midway through that season when freeman broke, broke his arm robert brooks did his knee shimura hurt his foot and they picked up andre risen that nobody else would touch at that point 
Right, because he you was know, Antonio Brown like, yeah. like he was just that that guy that nobody wanted to sign. Too crazy, yeah. too many off the field things yeah. going on. Yeah, but they took the chance, and you know, it probably without that move, they may not have made it to the to the Super Bowl that right. year. And I, it just it was the one thing, you know, the one thing at that point of the season that kind of pushed them over the edge and kept them going. You know, what do you think about picking? Are there guys out there that you think that we should take a <laughs> shot on? Yeah, I, I think I think the difficulty they've got, and I think I think they're in such a I won't say a cap mess. They're in cap difficulty next right. de- next year. I kind of think that now they're in the, in the position where they're going to roll with what they've got and try and roll over as much cap space as they can into into next year. The number of free agents that they've got coming up with, you know, Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley. You know, you Kevin King. You know, you naming these guys. You know, you're hoping to at least keep a couple of those guys, you know, whoever, right. whoever they might be. And, and and I just think that I just think it's difficult for them now this this year to spend any more spend any more money. I think they're probably hoping, like most teams do, that the cap won't be as low as you know the 175 next year. But I don't know. You know, they're gonna. I guess right. that's what Russ Ball gets paid for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right, because the the cap dropping is it's going to be a dangerous thing for almost every team in yeah, the league, yeah. right? There's a lot of teams, the Eagles yeah. uh, in particular, who have that issue. But the Packers, yeah, are in that spot too. I mean, David Bakhtiari and, and guys like like Lane Taylor. Lane Taylor, yeah. I know he's hurt, but he's going to need to get paid again too. Yeah. There's just so many guys that are up for that. And then the following year too, There's it just keeps coming. That's the problem yeah, with that. having a great team, right? You get great players <laughs> yeah. and they want to get paid. It, it is, and when you've got when you've got a quarterback, obviously as good as Rogers is, but as old as Rogers is, when you're paying your quarterback thirty odd million a year, you know that's difficult to compete with the the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, you know Mahomes has got the new contract now, but you know last year when he's playing on a three million dollar contract, right. that's twenty. Let's say the best part of thirty million dollars that they could be spending elsewhere. So it's really difficult, and you know there is a thing about this progression to quarterbacks coming out of college and playing a lot more quickly than they used to in the past it's without doubt in my mind it's easier for them to do that now than it was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago and the cap advantages in in that are just are just huge for teams what you said is exactly what i was thinking like you can't restructure him right you can't extend him because he's 30s he's too old to restructure yeah and it's so difficult and i know that they got they caught a lot of heat for the drafting of love but you also have to they have to take a, a medium to long-term view you know they also have to look at it if if they believe, regardless of what we as fans believe, if they believe that he could be the potential quarterback of the future and he's there to be taken, then for me, you can't blame them for taking him. Whether or not he works out, who knows? But you right. know, when you're a successful team, you're never going to be picking in the top five to get mm-hmm. to get those other guys coming out. You know, you're never going to get a... Yeah, no Joe Burrow. No, Those guys yeah. aren't coming yeah. to you. You have to yeah. take a chance. We've had this discussion, Todd and I too, and I 100% agree with you. you. You have to take a chance. We hated the pick because you, we are fans, right? Yeah. We take the absolute shortest view as possible. We, <laughs> yeah. we want to win right now, today, yeah. and next week. So the long-term view doesn't always, it's not always what we have, but it's a risk you have to take at some point because, right, I mean, you have to groom the kid. Uh, our issue or my issue was the timing, but Jordan Love came out this year. So if you want, really want Jordan Love, you have to pick him when he comes out, and that's what you do. I yeah. mean, the, the age of Aaron Rodgers isn't perfect. One of those things in an ideal world, it wouldn't have happened till next year. Yeah. But, you know, again, you know, you're looking at the quarterback group, potential quarterback group for next year, and, you know, and the Trevor Lawrences of this world and the Trey Lances of this world, they're not going to be around when the Packers no, they're gone. 
Exactly. Pick up, pick up 32, of course, they will this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, God willing. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's, you know, it's sometimes you just have to trust that if they if they rated him that highly, then... Then you pick them, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think that, kind of going off subject, but I think the draft slightly got away from them after after the first round. You know, I, we shall see, you know, the proof of the puddings in the eating and how it yeah. goes in the coming in the coming years. You just you, you just don't know. And I mean, they plugged holes. Best case scenario, they plugged holes that are going to be there. And we like you said, the, the cap is falling to $175 million. Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones are both possibly gone. I mean, yeah. I, I hope they'll keep one of them, but yeah. the money may not say that, depending on where they put their priorities. So yeah. A.J. Dillon makes sense, right? Aaron Rodgers is 36 years old. He takes up a huge part. I mean, if the cap's at 175, he's, what, one-sixth of the cap for next year, you know, in yeah. one man. And you have to see what happens. Uh, DeBarra going down with a knee injury, boy, that really yeah. hurts. Because he's better than I expected. I'll admit yeah. that I was wrong on him. He's at more, far more athletic than I expected him to be. Or he was, and hopefully he will be after the, <laughs> yeah. after the yeah. injury too. That's, I'm not an NFL GM. I say that on our show all the time. <laughs> so I just react to what I think is right, but I hope that I am wrong with all this. It's interesting. I was just I was just thinking back, jumping around here, but I was thinking back to the Andre Risen move and, and Ron Wolf making that move. And of course, Ron Wolf has that link back to the Bucks. So so when the Bucks he does. First- yeah, so when the Bucks first came into the league, he was he moved from the Raiders because he was like Al Davis's, you know, guy. personnel guy at the Raiders. Mm-hmm. He, he became the personnel guy at the Bucks. So I think he didn't have the GM job title. He was like the executive vice president of football operations. Okay. Because um, I think they gave the head coach. The head coach was head the coach GM. and GM. Okay. But Ron Wolf was in essence the Bucks personnel guy for quite a few years there in the in the late seventies, early eighties. And you know, he said he always said that you know. He learned so much from that period because, you know, they lost their first, I don't know how many games, 30 odd games or whatever it was. And, you know, he said that that's it's all a learning process. Uh, his first ever draft pick would have been Leroy Selman, defensive end for the, for the Bucks. He was a great player. Yeah. You know, the difference, though, between uh, Ron Wolf and Brian Gutekunst is that, well, he was established in Green Bay. You know, so Wolf was established in Green Bay. He could go out and make decisions that, you know, people could question and, and then the backlash wouldn't be as, as strong when Gutekunst is so new and he may turn out to be the next Ron Wolfen guy. Yeah. We all hope he is. But right now in year two, that's a risky play, right? He goes out to get the Andre Rise, the Antonio Brown. Yeah. Now that's a real risky play for him. It is, and it's it's yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, I mean, Ron was one of those guys that certainly by that by the time he got to the Packers in the end of '91, you know, he's one of those guys that was very clear about the direction, very clear about his knowledge of the game, very clear about if he was going to fail, he was going to fail because of the decisions that he made, rather than the press or the fans or anybody else. Nobody within the organization was going to pressure him one way or the other. And, and Ron was one of those guys that he wasn't afraid to make a mistake, but it, but he also wasn't afraid to say, I made a mistake and I'm going to correct it. So, you know, like he felt with Ray Rhodes, I guess, when he appointed yeah. Rhodes for the one season, he knew late in that season that he'd made a mistake and he wasn't going to just... Yeah, let him fester at nine and yeah. seven, nine and seven for a long yeah eight and eight for a long time because that's yeah what you'd have gotten and that, that right that takes yeah. guts yeah right to fire a guy when he is an abysmal what do you think about uh, this week and any thoughts on this week for with the yeah. tampa bay bucks <sighs> 
I was dis- I was disappointed the Bucks didn't didn't beat the Bears. Um, yeah, same. You you know watch that game and it, it it didn't look like it didn't look like two juggernauts. Let's put let's put it like that. It looked like two I don't know relatively average teams that may well both finish nine and seven or ten and six, but the, but neither of them scared you. I think that my gut feeling is that that probably the Bucks beat the Bears probably six times out of ten or six and a half times out of ten. So I think the Bucks, although they lost that game, are probably a better a better team. And I think they're I think what they're what you call a solid team. There's, there's there's nothing there that really scares you too much. Tom Brady doesn't doesn't scare you. You know he's going to do a solid job, but he doesn't he doesn't scare you. At, you know again another guy that's about 84 years old. He doesn't, and you kind of know what you're going to get. I guess Mike Evans would probably be their star player on on offense. On offense. He's, you know he's, yeah he's a fair, you know a super receiver, one of the top receivers in the league. And defensively, I think they're quite strong. The pass rush is pretty good. Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett. So I think they're an all-round solid team. But it's difficult to point to one area that you would say, well, that really scares me or that really scares me. I think the difficulty the Packers have got is until they can prove that they can stop the run, I think we're all going to be afraid that they can't stop the run. Totally agree. That I'm glad we're having this conversation because we, we think the same way, at least about this for sure. Like they, the, the Bucks just don't scare me. Yeah. I, you know, I was a little bit concerned with the the Brady, Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, yeah. uh, and they brought in Leonard Fournette too. And I yeah. thought, okay, they've got guys that you can recognize that should be above average players. But Brady is an average at best quarterback at yeah. this time. I think he's better than Drew Brees. I think that I think he has a more arm strength than Drew Brees. Yeah. But he's along those same lines where you can see the age creeping up with yeah. him. If you can't get your weapons the ball, and, and Gronkowski is below average. Like I, yeah. he, I feel bad for him. Actually, he looks old out yeah. there. He looks very average, and I wish he wouldn't have come back. But those weapons didn't come to fruition. Uh, Evans is, is banged up. Godwin is banged up. Yeah. Uh, Fournette is banged up too. They're all they're all injured and in, but still even healthy. Now that I see what they have in Brady, I, I agree with you. They they're gonna be that right on the fringe. They'll probably make the playoffs because of the way it's it's run this year. But yeah, yeah it, it would take a, a real amazing effort for them on Sunday, I think, to to beat the Packers. Again, I think the only thing that scares me is if, I guess by halftime in, in just about every game this season, the Packers have got out to that lead and got out to a solid lead by halftime. And that's kind of changed probably the offensive thinking of the of the other teams, is whether Tampa Bay come out running and are able to keep the game close. I think that's that's when it might become difficult. Like, you, you know, you just feel that all things being equal... You know, the, the Packers are going to put up 30-plus points, whatever it might be, 30, 35, who knows, and that will be enough. You know, you can't see Tampa Bay scoring that number of points. The only thing, as I, as I keep saying, the only thing that worries me is if, if they come out and run the ball and keep running the ball and, and we can't stop it, they're just going to keep running it until we do stop it. You know? Right, and where's that answer going to come from? Yeah. You know, I was very impressed, and it was a one-game thing. But Billy Wynn looked pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we should get Clark back. We'll have Clark back, right, uh, for this game. So that's big. I think some of the holes that they're – hopefully they plugged with Billy Wynn because you just need that fat guy. And if he can be that fat guy who takes on a double team that changes things and the Packers should be able to then at least better stop the run than they have. It's the defensive line of the Packers that probably worries me more than any other position set. And, and that might sound a bit odd with Kenny Clark there, but even Lowry at Lancaster – the solid triers. Yes. Uh, they give it the college try every week. 
Yeah, you know, and and they're giving what they've got, but neither of them are dominant players, and you've got to get that up. You've got to get that up front, you know, especially to stop to stop the runs. We've got right. plenty of pass rushers. We've got plenty of help at the at the at the back end. The corners are great. The safeties, I think they've been a bit of a slow start. Savage has been almost non-existent. Yeah. Amos, you know, had that nice play at the end of the game, but right, he's been real quiet too. We talked about it in the last episode. Raven Green is really kind of a linebacker anyway. Yeah. So he's he's not going to do anything in coverage. But right, I'm with you. The defensive line is, the, I think, the weakest position group on the entire organization. What do you do though? You know, at this point in the season, you're you're kind of stuck with them. You are. You've got the you've got to you've got the guys that you've got, and you've got to make you've got to make the best of it. And I think that the offense being so hot has helped. As I said before, I think it's helped that out. You know, you get ahead in games, and it changes the nature of the other team's offense and. I think that's I think that's really helped, and you know, and Kingsley Kiki has flashed in a couple of places. Adams too has had a couple yeah. of nice plays. Yeah. Never a nice game, yeah. but but a nice plays, and yeah, you know, maybe a little bit of confidence, and those guys can make two or three plays, four or five. I mean, Kiki had a really nice game. Was it two weeks ago? Yeah, and then Adams has had like two or three plays. They're, but they're not big guys. They're, they're not that. No. No, well, they're ends. They're three, four ends. Both yeah. of them. Yeah, Adams doesn't really belong at the ta- at the nose tackle position. He's too small, but he's what we got. And that's also a difficulty, isn't it? Is trying to find guys that fit that three four end position because just by you know just by their nature, it's a certain you know you got certain look and feel of a guy that's playing over the nose but you've also got a certain feel of those guys that are three four ends that probably aren't dominant players because that right. but almost by the or at least they're not guys by the nature of being a 3-4 end, they're not guys that are typically going to put up huge numbers. Um, and maybe they're, I don't, want to, I don't want to say this, but maybe they're glorified nose tackles, really. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're not there to rush the pass. Or they're there to hold the line. They're sort of that guy in the middle, but they're playing yeah. on the end, for lack of a better term. And they remind me a lot of a guy, uh, it's a blast from the past, there was a guy named Robert Brown that played for the Packers for a lot of years at defensive end through the through the 80s. Um, so this is not the Bob Brown from the 60s, 70s, Robert Brown in the, in, the, in the 80s. It was a guy that played defensive end for probably a decade, had about three sacks a year, okay. and was just, and was, you know, kind of a two-gap defensive end that didn't seem to make a huge amount of plays, but the team liked him. Both Lancaster and Lowry kind of remind me of, of him. But when you're paying Lowry the amount of money that you're paying, you're paying him, the guy that Unfortunately, just kind of looks like a guy that's a salary cap casualty next year. Absolutely. I think he is too. You can't pay a guy that much to have 16 tackles. I mean, if he had three sacks and maybe 30 tackles, that's okay. That's right because they are not big stats guys. Those three, four defensive end, you can take a guy – and if he can have marginal numbers, you're okay. Neither one of those guys have even marginal numbers at this point. They're, they're far below average. I don't, I don't know what their PFF grades are. I don't really study that that much, but they're low. Lancaster, according to Patton, had a nice game last game, so I'll take that. He appeared to be in on more plays last, last weekend. I don't, I don't know what his, num- what his numbers were, but he, he certainly appeared more active. He had four tackles last. Right. He had one solo and three assists, which is right. a huge game so far yeah and yeah, like you that for me is the appears to be the weakest position group probably by quite a long way on the on the team and that's yeah. it's, in, it's, it's interesting I was talking to one of my one of my friends over here a few weeks ago and when you look at the Packers roster they've got really good players at every position even great players Rogers and, and Adams and Aaron Jones and Bakhtiari and, and, and what have you 
it's that depth behind those guys, which is a bit of a, a bit of a Concern. struggle. Yeah. And I know that's, I guess that's probably the same for every team, you know, in the salary cap era, it's difficult to keep those guys, but you just feel like the Packers can't afford injuries at key positions. Right. But like I say, that's probably the same for every, for every team. Right. It's right. They, that era is finished. That nineties, you know, late nineties Packers team. It, feel, it felt like they could have just rolled out that next guy, and he was yeah. going to be as good. I mean, you look at I, I, it. Really, is our front seven because we have for a an NFL team. I feel like our offensive line depth is pretty good. Quarterback, no one has a backup quarterback yeah. worth of crap in in a league. But our, our running back group is big. But like, yeah, wide receiver is as a depth issue for sure. You get past one and two. Yeah and you got just guys and linebacker really concerns me too this whole Kirksey thing you know he's injury history Kamal Martin is hurt you don't there's zero depth there I really hope they bring Raymond Green in the box and leave him there and hope he can do something yeah I mean I thought that if Kirksey could stay healthy I thought he would be a decent pickup but I have to say in the you know in the limited playing time that he had he I don't think he showed very much that explosiveness is not there. Like the, the no. explosive player we thought we were getting, that behind the line of scrimmage guy, is it's just not there. At least not yet. No, and he looks like, you know, I mean, they've brought in Chris Barnes and Ty Summers, and I know we're only four games in, but there doesn't appear to be a drop-off from no. from Kirksey to those guys. That's a good point, Peter, that, yeah, Barnes and, and Summers have not been a drop-off. And Burks, like the rotation of young guys – who we've seen nothing from when Barnes is a, is a rookie. But, I mean, Summers had never played a, a defensive sma- snap, and he looked, he looked fine. So, you know, Kirksey, again, looks like another one of those. He looks like a salary cap casualty after this year to me. Unless he does yeah. something amazing in the next, yeah. you know, 11 weeks. I mean, I, I don't know how long his injury is going to keep him out. But like you said, one of these, once these guys kind of get injury prone, and I just feel like even if he does come back relatively soon, he's going to be in and out all year. Made out of glass. I feel like yeah. that too. Like, you know, it's not the, the same injury, but it's an injury. And what he, you know, it's, it's there. And yeah. he can't ex- escape it. And a shoulder injury on a linebacker, a guy who's coming in to plug holes, that could, that's going to reoccur, right? You're almost positive that's going to reoccur going forward. In the 80s, especially, I thought I was the only Packer fan in the UK, you know? Um, <laughs> you may have been because we were so doggone bad back then. <laughs> um, but, you know, those, those bad years make the good years even better. And, totally agree. But, even, you know, back then... You know, back in back in the eighties, then you know you look to the teams, especially after eighty, kind of eighty six, when Randy Wright was the quarterback. If you won any game, it was a it was a huge achievement. Yes, you know, didn't care who you were playing. <laughs> wins <Yeah>. are wins. <laughs> yeah, and I, I always remember listening to the Thanksgiving Day game in eighty six, which was the Lions. So it was it wasn't on TV here; it was on the radio. So I think so. You know, we we're six hours you know ahead of you guys. So mm-hmm. it was. It was, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or whatever, and I was lying in bed <laughs> listening to that game. Walter Stanley returned a punt for a touchdown in the last minute of the game, and the Packers won 44-40. And I always remember that. From that period of time, I always remember that that game. And it's um, I had forgotten about that, but that brought back memories. Now yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> Yeah, again, you know, I guess because because it was so difficult, it was so difficult to get any any information. You know, it was before the internet and all and all of that stuff. So there was a news agent about five miles down the road from me, and he would he was the only news agent in my area that would get you the USA Today, and he used to get the whole week's worth for me, and I'd go and pick it up on a Saturday. It was reading that I remember reading that, and I can't remember who the Packers. Packers signed or whatever, or it might have been. It might have been when they traded James Lofton away. But it was when okay. it was. That's how I got to know 
I was reading a you know a week old USA Today to find out information. What was, yeah, in a way that kind of made it it made it special because you never got to expect anything. And um, I used to have I'd have bits of paper everywhere keeping all the rosters and and everything. So today I feel really spoiled. You know, I've got yes. this huge collection of books. I've got the ins- got everything. You know, but back then it was just it was a special thing to tune in. And the Armed Forces Radio was broadcast out of Germany, so so the reception was really bad. <laughs> so, so you're like holding it in the air, holding the radio. You got the huge antenna on your roof, right? So, so so you had to get the radio in at the exact right angle to be able to get the right room in the house at the right angle. And as the evening went on, the reception got better. But what you would have is um, you'd have Spanish opera singers coming in half. <laughs> Halfway through a play, you know, they're, they're, it would fade out and there'd be this Spanish opera singer. And in a way, it kind of, it made it, it made it very interesting. And um, if you ever get to talk to other UK NFL fans from that period who listened into games on the on the Armed Forces Network, they'll all tell you about the Spanish opera singer. <laughs> but yeah, it made it, it made it, you know, it made it really, really special. And then I don't want to keep you all day, but I have truly enjoyed this. I, I, I can't thank you enough for, for oh, just taking the time to talk to me. For a couple oh, minutes. absolutely. Any time. Seriously, I um, love to talk, love to, like I say, love to talk football, love to talk Packers. I could talk all day. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Peter. That was awesome. I really had a great time talking to him. But let's move on. Week five review. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, Alex Smith is back. I saw on Twitter a couple of people saying that he gets comeback player of the year no matter what he does. Not sure I agree with that, but what a great story. It actually makes me nervous. I don't know that I want to watch any Redskins. Oh, not Redskins. The Washington football team play. I'm so afraid that Alex Smith's going to get hurt. He got sacked those six times in this game, and he survived it. His legs survived it, so that's a positive. I'm not sure I want to watch. He didn't have good statistics. He, he was clearly getting pummeled after being sacked six times. I think he had, like, I don't know, six for 11 for, like, less than 200. He was awful. But he's back. And just to be back on the field after that horrific break on his leg is absolutely amazing. Speaking of injuries... Dak Prescott's ankle, that injury was awful. Just awful. They showed him sitting there. I mean, you saw it. If you watched the game, it was it's just terrible to look at. I mean, his ankle was pointing in the 90 degrees from where it should have been. That's going to be ugly. Dislocation and a fracture, that's going to be a long-term rehab for sure. And Dak Prescott, we talked about it on episodes previous we just said, hey, this dude's going to get paid. You know, he was coming up on a contract. He, he wanted to get big money this year, and he didn't get it. This is awful on so many levels for him. I'm not a huge Dak Prescott fan, you know, as far as athletics go, but you hate to see that happen to the man. In a strange but, I don't know, interesting note, the Raiders beat the Chiefs. David Carr, who I've had on my fantasy teams in the past, Really looked good in this game, and the Raiders seem to be doing something. Chucky Gruden, I'm not sure what he's got going on there, but they're winning. Hats off to them. The Chiefs, though, don't look like the Chiefs. They just don't look the same. I don't know if it's just that, you know, sometimes teams get on a roll and they got that mojo and they just keep rolling over teams. I'm not sure that the Chiefs have that invincibility. You know, the teams seem to have figured them out a little bit. 
I mean, they are fast, and they got uh, Hilaire as their running back, and he's really good too, and he should make them better. But the Raiders kind of put it on them a little bit. I mean, they put up 40. And, again, we talked about how offenses are ahead of the defenses at this part of the game and scoring is way up. But really the Raiders aren't built to score 60 points or 50 points. The Chiefs are more, you know, built for that with their speedsters. David Carr in this game, David Carr looked awesome for David Carr. 22 for 31, 347 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. He got sacked one time. He doesn't run the ball much. They got Josh Jacobs to run the football. They kind of beat you down. Like they really have a very – balanced offense like we talked about against the Saints they did it again against the Chiefs and and put up 40. Josh Jacobs doesn't have a great yards per carry average but 23 carries for 77 yards two touchdowns I mean I don't know what else to say other than that he's he's a player and if Henry Ruggs the third can become something they've got talent on that team I really like Darren Waller he just killed the Packers last year that game that Todd and I went to up in Lambeau, it was Darren Waller could not be stopped. The Packers could not stop him that game. Pretty interesting. The other thing, the Tuesday night game that should have been played on Thursday or whatever night they were supposed to play it on, the Titans just beat the shit out of the Bills. It was ugly. So, sorry, Dougie. I mean, I thought that the karma would last, the average cheese karma would last a little bit longer. I really thought the Bills were on to something, but they got blasted in this game. Ryan Tannehill, I don't know. He looks pretty good. Kind of made fun of him, you know, with his big contract. And then once he left Miami, he's been doing things. He's got really good statistics. Ryan Tannehill, there's my fantasy football pick of the week. If he's not on somebody's roster, pick him up. And I don't know what the lineman's name is, like Luan or something like that, talking all kinds of shit after the game. It's like, dude, fuck off. You clowns can't stay out of the club, and you wonder why people are beating up on you. We said it in episode eight. We talked about the bubble a little bit. If teams are going to keep messing up with COVID, then they need to forfeit games. That, that's just my opinion. Why did the Bills have to play on a Tuesday night because the Titans can't stay out of the strip club? Like, I just don't get that. That hurts Buffalo, and it doesn't hurt Tennessee in any way, but they're the ones that cause the problems. I think it's nonsense. So, I don't know. I I saw on Twitter that they might be talking about playoff bubbles, and I'll just say it. You heard it here first, folks. Episode 8. I went through my whole bubble plan. I really think there's going to be more COVID cases, and they should have just bubbled it up. Roger Goodell, you should have been listening, fool. So maybe you listened and you thought, well, I can't change it up halfway. I don't know. Whatever. Go ahead and play in the bubble. doesn't have to be in Dallas or Los Angeles or, I don't know, some big place like that. You can put it in Green Bay. We need the money, although our COVID cases are stupid high right now. Saw something on Twitter that said that Green Bay per capita has more COVID cases than the next four NFL cities combined. That's fucked up, Green Bay. Wear a goddamn mask and figure it out because this is ridiculous. 
Green Bay, Wisconsin should not have the highest COVID in the country as far as NFL teams go in all those NFL cities. Miami, Chicago, Detroit, all these bigger cities than us. I mean, Green Bay is the smallest city in the NFL, and we've got the highest per capita cases. Go sit in your house, wear your mask when you're out, so we can have Packer fans. Christ's sake, it's ridiculous. So let's talk a little bit about the first four weeks of the season. When Todd and I previewed it in episode seven, we went through game by game what we thought was going to happen. So here's our, I don't know, report card as far as that goes. So Todd thought we were going to lose to the Vikings, and I thought we were going to win 28-24. Oddly enough, I thought the Packers were going to score 28 points in every game in the first four weeks. I don't know why 28 is the magic number, but it was. Todd thought they were going to go 2-2, two and two, losing to Minnesota and New Orleans. I thought we were going to go 3-1, and one, losing to New Orleans. Our biggest mistake, I think, I mean, I understand why Todd thought we'd lose to Minnesota. It was at Minnesota. They always seem to beat us up there. Clearly, their defense is just garbage right now, and that's kind of why things happen the way they did. We were both wrong about New Orleans. That's the biggest L for us. We just didn't realize how bad Drew Brees was. I mean, we thought Drew Brees was still going to be, you know, the guy that we've seen for the last couple of years. And them missing Michael Thomas just was too much for them to handle. Also, Taysom Hill is way overpaid. That fool makes like $16 million. He's got like $16 million in guaranteed money with the Saints. <laughs> the Saints are in purgatory. They are not going to be able to pull themselves out of the cap hell that they're in. Because they are in bad shape. The Packers are bad enough. And basically everybody in the league is going to be in trouble because of that dip to 175. But New Orleans is going to just suck. I would be stunned if Drew Brees is a New Orleans Saint next year. I think Jameis Winston is going to be the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints starting in 21-22. And we were both right about Atlanta. Atlanta is awful. They fired Dan Quinn as well. They should have. They just have no direction. But he's not the GM, right? They don't have any real big names on defense. Matt Ryan is a, still a decent player. And I love Calvin Ridley. I think he's going to be great. But like we talked about last week, Julio Jones is on the backside of his career. He's not the guy he used to be. That guy's taken a lot of shots, and he just doesn't look like he did so let's move on so how are the Packers done in the first four weeks and we've talked about it a little bit but I thought it would break down and look and see like as a team how they're doing statistically compared to the rest of the league and we know their offense has been great I mean their offense has been amazing but they've really been better than even than we talked about so the Packers are second in the league in points scored, and they've only played four games. They're behind the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys had 163 points in the first five games. The Packers have 152 points in four games. They're averaging 38 points per game, which is clearly best in the league. It's not even close. And we've talked about it before, and there's many reasons for that. Part of it is great coaching. Part of it is Aaron Rodgers looks great. Another part of it is that guys seem to step up, like we've said before when they need to step up. That offense has been clicking. I thought this was an interesting statistic. 
they are 10th in the league in rushing, which that's fine. You know, top 10 is fine. The Packers aren't really a rushing team, you know, especially in the past. They've never been a run-dominant team. They have 603 yards rushing, which is like 100 and, I don't know, 50-something yards per game, which is a lot for the Packers. The Browns have 942 yards rushing. It's probably why they're 4-1, and one, right? And better than they've been in, like, forever. I mean, Baker Mayfield is a decent player, but he can't carry them, in my opinion. He's not a game manager, but he's not going to go out and win the games either. So the Packers are 5th in rushing yards per game, 10th in rushing yards total, and 5th per game because they haven't played as many games as the top you know, other teams. Surprisingly, the Packers are in the middle of the, in the pack for passing yards. But again, in only four games, we have to look at the game average, right? Until everybody catches up with their bye week, with the Packers having a bye week in week five. Um, we got to look at averages. They're third per game. So third in pass yards per game right now. They're also second in yards per game total. I mean, you can see it. It's pretty apparent that the Packers have a great offense. And defense, as far as the defense goes, we've definitely benefited from a great offense. I don't think this is a great defense. I think it's a middle-of-the-pack, middle-of-the-road defense that is going to hopefully hold teams out of the end zone enough to win games. Uh, it's nice to see Zadarius Smith starting to you know, eke back into the form that he showed last year. And Preston Smith has to get better. Kenny Clark being back is big. And we know we talked about it last week that Lancaster had a pretty good game. If Billy Wynn can hold up the middle, they just need a couple fat guys to hold the line enough to stop the run. So as far as the statistics go, the Packers are middle of the pack in points per game. You're right about the middle. Uh, they're eighth in rushing yards per game with 105.8. I really think that's, that's dependent on the offense being out front and teams not being able to run rather than the Packers being good at stopping the run. Interestingly enough, the Buccaneers are only giving up 58 yards per game rushing. That's a crazy statistic. They're first in the league. So they give up fewer yards than anybody else in the league. Packers are eighth. The Packers are 18th in passing yards per game. And this number, I think, is hurt because teams are always throwing the football trying to catch up to the Packers. I think that they will end up being in that middle range, maybe just above the middle when all is said and done. But teams are going to pass the ball against the Packers. They're going to have more passing yards against the Packers because they're always trying to catch up to the Packers' offense. Also interesting, the Colts' defense is third against the rush, and they're first in the league against the pass. They are a very good team defensively. It kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, they really don't have to have a great offense if they continue with that defense. That should be an interesting game when they go down and play Indianapolis. I, I didn't think that would be a decent game, but it is looking like it's going to creep up and, and be a game that the Packers are going to struggle in. The Packers are 12th in yards per game, not top 10, better than 20 teams in the league. So we can live with that. So that's about it for episode 16. Again, I appreciate you listening. I hope this wasn't too brutal. 
let's do this again, but with Todd, so it's better. Go back out.